Psalm 33, beginning in verse 10. Now, this is a very popular verse, especially during July 4th. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. That's Psalm 33, verse 12. But today, let's go through the context of it. I love what Randy just, you know, opened our service with, the welcome that he gave as an awesome reminder that nothing surprises our God. He's in charge of everything. Everything that happens in this world is is allowed by his will and for his purpose. So let's see what Psalm 33, beginning in verse 10 says. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Amen. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. What a perfect scripture for this time. Will you say our scripture declaration with me? Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Heavenly Father, as we continue this service, we continue to sing these praises to you. Open our hearts and open our minds, God. We're, we're engaging in this service to reconcile with you today, to, to communicate with you. God, we worship you in spirit and in truth, and we, we want our spirit to be connected with your spirit. God, help us remember to continue just to look to you during all this confusing time. Every day, It's a new surprise, it seems like, and none of it surprises you. God, help us. Help us stay connected with you. Help our our faith stand strong and our hope stand strong in you. God, bless the rest of the service. This is all for your glory. Amen. Thank you. Well, happy July 4th uh, weekend, everyone. I hope you're all doing well and hope you are enjoying yourself. Um, you know, I was thinking about it. I, I don't really know if uh, all of you celebrate July 4th because I know that a lot of you are from somewhere else. Originally, you're from another country. You've made this your second home. Uh, and this is now a land that you call your own, but it's not the only one that you come from. And so I actually would love it if you would tell me a little bit about where you come from in the chat that is online, and if you would tell me maybe when your Independence Day is and what you do, because I'm kind of... uh, 
uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you know exactly what I did yesterday. Um, probably you experienced what I experienced. I tried to go to bed last night. I never can sleep late. I always get up ridiculously early on a Sunday morning with my message on my mind. And so, you know, last night we saw this going on out of right, right around the corner. We had tons of fireworks going on just two streets down. And so I got woken up probably six or eight times, you know, just because uh, of the fireworks. But you know, this is what we do to celebrate. And you probably know, like I said, exactly how I celebrated. I'm going to put this up on the screen. I made hamburgers and hot dogs. I mean, of course, I had to grill out. I made hamburgers and hot dogs. My wife made her homemade potato salad. If any of you have ever tried it, you know that it's the best potato salad in the whole world. I had every single carb that I should not have had yesterday. Um, I also had some homemade ice cream, Butterfinger ice cream. And uh, that was awesome, um, definitely made by my wife. That's why it was awesome, not me, which would not have made it awesome at all. But it's so funny because I was talking to them about what we were doing for our July 4th weekend um, grilling out and all that stuff. And if you see real closely on the backside, you can tell I'm a, I'm a true Texan here because I've got elote. Y'all know what elote is? Uh, I know some of you know what elote means. Elote means grilled corn. It's like Mexican street corn. If you go down in Mexico, you can actually buy these sometimes holding by the husk, uh, but it is awesome. It's got chili powder on there. And believe Believe it or not, it's got mayonnaise on it, and do not knock it until you've tried it. I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's awesome. So, yes, uh, it was all American except for a little Mexican food kind of thrown in there and a little, little Mexican flair in there. And of course, my wife and I had to get in an argument, not an argument, but a fake argument. You know what I mean? Um, I was telling her, she said, what kind of cheese are you putting on your burger? I said, it's July 4th, baby. I have to have American cheese on my burger. So we know that American cheese is not real cheese, but it's a cheese product type thing. Well, I had cheese product on my burger because it was, you know, America Day, all right? And so she told me that she was going to have blue cheese on her burger. And I thought, you know what? That's so French. There's no way in the world that that can be American as my American cheeseburger. But then she went to the place where she said this, no, 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 you don't understand. I've got red, white, and blue on my burger. I've got mayonnaise for the white. I've got, you know, blue cheese and I've got Frank's red hot on there. So she had an awesome blue cheeseburger, red, white, and blue. Maybe some of y'all can weigh in on who did it best. You know, maybe it was me with the uh, all American grilled cheese burger with American cheese. Maybe it's my wife. And don't vote for her just because she's prettier. I know what y'all are doing. Like all of you guys, please just, she's nicer. She's sweeter. She's prettier, but don't vote for her just because of that. Okay. But maybe you can tell me about your July 4th, uh, your independence celebrations from where you are from. And uh, we'd love to see that interaction going on in the comments today. Uh, as always, because it just feels like we're separated from each other, but we're still connected. And so I hope that you are staying along and staying in and staying connected in this way. And I want to just actually mention something to you. 
Last week, we had a little bit of a problem that had nothing to do with us. You probably got an email from us on Sunday afternoon that said, wait for it, wait for it, because we knew that we had re-recorded the message. What had actually happened was our ISP had a couple of problems, and we could not get anything that was clean until we restarted everything and reshot the, the message. So uh, if you waited for it, you got a shorter message, and I thought it was a little bit better message, but um, you got that. And so we ever had that kind of situation happen, just know that we're going to do our very best to make sure that you're being fed spiritually because this is important stuff. It's not just simply something that we do um, because we always do this. This is of all times, the things that our hearts need to hear and our, and our uh, hearts need to be in that same vein as we follow what the Lord is doing. So today we're going to keep on going and changing the world and changing times, this message series that we've been talking about. And I'm actually going to uh, share a couple of stories from our history that I hope will be an encouragement to you, but also be a challenge to you. So let's begin right here. We talk a lot about Jesus being our ultimate example and the one that we follow, the person that we put our faith in, but we also follow in his footsteps. And as we look at Jesus, we knew that he was coming just for a little bit of time. He didn't have a long life. He was probably crucified about the age of 33. And so as we see him there crucified about age 33, it just shows us how incredibly important every piece and part of his earthly walk was because there's just not nearly as much as you would hope for. We usually look at the Gospels and there's approximately three years of Jesus's public ministry that's covered in the Gospel narratives. And so it is a very compacted section of his life, probably from about age 30 to about age 33 when he was probably crucified. But let's be very clear about something, and this is your something to learn today. Jesus interacted very little with the political leaders of his day, and he never interacted with Tiberius Caesar, who was Rome's emperor. And so I want to just mention that again, and I want you to know and understand where I'm coming from here. If Jesus knew that he had only three years to change the world, he is probably going to target the world exactly where it needs to be targeted. But he does not go and start up a political conversation. He does not go and sit down with all the political leaders of Jerusalem. He, he interacts with those people, but it's usually in passing. And even when he does interact with them, his point constantly points to one thing, and that is a change of the heart. The most powerful man on the entire planet in the political sense at Jesus' time, Jesus never even came close to meeting with him. He never desired that and never wanted that, never asked for that to happen. And so if that is true, let's be very clear about what that would tell us and what we can draw down from this. I don't want in any way to downplay the concept of po the political sphere and the political influence I don't want to sit here and act like it doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, here at EHC, one of the things that we do is we very, very consistently host the opportunity for people to share their vote and cast their ballots in elections. Almost all the time we're doing that here at EHC. And the reason is, is because we think that we as Christians should be involved in the world. But again, I come to what I said all the way back at the very beginning of service. This world is our home for a little while, but it's not our final home. 
And so when Jesus does not think that the most important thing that he can do is go and have a sit down and a powwow with, you know, the world's most famous and most powerful political leaders, but instead he aims everything that he does and says towards those people's hearts, then that tells me that Jesus knows what he's doing, that changes come in our world most importantly because of a change of heart. Jesus was into the ripple effect. He was the one who wanted to make the impact and have it spread outward from what he was doing. He had 12 men that he chose to pour his life into. And even when he left, that crucifixion came. There were about 120 dedicated followers of Jesus. But they turned the world upside down as they began to ripple outward from Jerusalem. And so I want to be very clear. Here is today's big idea. The big idea is this. Nations move forward by changing the hearts of mankind. Nations move forward because they've changed the hearts of mankind. And I'm going to tell you again, let's be very clear. You can say amen. Just tell me what you're saying amen to, because when I read it later, I want to know what was speaking to you. And I want to hear from you. If you are being spoken to, let us know. And I want to just give you a perfect example. Right now, we're in a very, very tumultuous racial time. We all know this. This is, this is something that is difficult to speak about because it's such a, a thorny and difficult issue. But we don't walk away from it because it's an incredibly important issue. So what we do instead is we give grace to one another and say, you are my brother in Christ, you are my sister in Christ, and I am yours. We find common ground at the foot of the cross. That is what is most important. But let me just be very clear. If you think about this, President Abraham Lincoln was shot in about 1866. And then you fast forward about 100 years later, and Martin Luther King was still fighting for civil rights to change so that the everyday lives of African Americans could change. What is the difference? The laws had changed all the way back in 1866, but they had not changed the hearts of men until 1966. This is the problem. For most of us, we think that if we could just change a law, that everything would change. But I'm here to tell you that this is a perfect example from our own sordid history. That if our hearts do not change, we find a way to get around the laws to do what we want to do. The heart change that happens in people is what changes the world that we actually live in. That's why it is so important for us to never lose sight that we're not here for a political fix. We can't elect the next guy to change our world. It's not going to happen. Why? Because he's got a human heart just like I do and just like you do. And my human heart is dark and sinful and I constantly need it to be brought back to the place where it is given over to Jesus so that I can become more like him. So our world begins to ripple out from where I influence, where you influence, and we begin to sow those seeds of change in our world, not because we've passed a law, but because our law of our own hearts has been given over to Jesus himself. So let me just remind you of what I shared with you last week about Mother Teresa, and it's going to be up here on the screen. She said, you don't wait for leaders. You do it alone, person to person. I love this quote. She is the one who made such a huge impact, not because somebody passed the law, but because she rolled up her sleeves and got in and got involved in people's lives. And let's be very clear. Deuteronomy chapter 4 tells us some things about how we are to share these things that God has done with those that we love. He says 
in Deuteronomy 4, 8 and verse 10 as well. He says, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? Amen. That's so good. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. And then he goes a step further and he makes the mandate. He, he gives the commandment that we are to teach them to our children and to their children after them. That means that your job is not done once you raise those kids and they leave home. You are constantly reminding them of how God is blessed in your family, how God is blessed in our nation, how God is at work in our lives, how God has affected the Puckett family or your family. You can insert your name here because God has been at work in your life and in your family and you as a Christian have the mandate and the commandment from Deuteronomy here that you are supposed to call that to attention and call that to remembrance that God is at work. And if we do not do it, those things begin to fall by the wayside. And then we wonder why our world is drifting away from the things that are most important. Well, you may be saying, well, I don't even know how I would do that. I'm glad I pretended that you ask. Okay. So here's how you do it. You have a family dinner. I tell you, I've done this like three or four times out of three or four pre- uh, messages and preachings in this idea. Here is the idea that I want to share with you. Have family dinners and man, talk about important stuff. Make your kids leave their cell phones somewhere else. And as kids, teenagers, I'm sorry. I know you're going to hate me for this, but at least for now. But let me tell you something. Uh, the way that we can kind of unplug and moms and dads, you probably need to be kind of called out on this too. Take that cell phone, take it and set it somewhere that you can get to it. It'll still be there in 20 minutes, but leave all that stuff alone. And you guys start talking about things that are important. Tell the stories of your grandmother and how she made it through the great depression. Tell the stories of the things that you have seen God do in your own life, how God provided a home. I'm, I'm using for my own. God provided us a home that we could have never provided or never expected. It was as if he chose it and we're living in it today and have been for decades. You know, it is incredible because we know that we're exactly where God provided for us. And I want to tell my kids those stories so they know that just like we sang a few minutes ago, he made a way when there was no way. And I believe he will do it again. Amen. All right. Can I get an amen in the comments? All right. Can I get an amen here in the building? Amen. All right. Man, that was loud for uh, the 23 people that was here, but I love that. That's good. All right. So let me keep going here. Let's go back to that something to learn again. Let's just hit that very quickly. If Jesus' decisions were not made for the political arena, but instead were aimed at the heart, so should ours be. So let's go on. That means that we have to be the right kind of sower. We've been talking about this. It's up here on the screen. You be the right kind of sower. You be unconcerned and you be consistent. You don't be concerned about the sowing and how it's happening and what kind of soil it's landing on. You just simply do your job as a sower and then let God handle the rest. And then we've used two visual images over the last couple of weeks. One of them is the picture of the four soils that we talked about from our part one of this series. One is the path, one is the rocky, one is the thorny, and one is the incredibly bountiful and fruitful one. Those are different kinds of soils and you will encounter and you will probably be all of these four kinds of soils at least once or twice in your life. 
And then last week, I shared this image with you that just like this building has windows that are open, the truth is, is that you will have times in your life where you're sharing these things and somebody will be open to hear them in a way that you could never believe or never expect. But if you're not sowing those seeds constantly, then you may be missing an opportunity that might not be there again. So let's keep moving here. And I don't want you to miss this. I do not want you to miss this. The more concerned you are about what tomorrow holds, the more sure that you should become about who holds tomorrow. I'm going to say it one more time because you need to follow along. The more concerned you are about what tomorrow holds, the more sure you should work to become about who holds tomorrow. You need to pull into Christ right now. And if you are feeling in ways that I feel, like everything is shifting underneath my feet. And and I don't know if it's just because I'm old or if it's just the part of the world that we're living in or if it's just the, the experience that we're all having in that same storm, different boats like we've talked about. I think it's probably a combination of all of these things. But here's what I know. As my world gets shaken, I get worried about what tomorrow might hold for me. But the thing that brings me peace and brings me back into center is to remember that I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do know who holds tomorrow. And this is just like the old song that you might have even sung before. So the more you worry about tomorrow, the more sure you need to be about the one who holds tomorrow. So it is important that you don't lose sight of that. Now, let's read from Psalm chapter 33 as Eric read for us. Let's go back and revisit a piece and a part of that great passage. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, as Eric said. But this is what it says in verse 18 through 20. It says, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. To deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. And how many of you know that we might not be in a famine right now, but we're in a famine right now? You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it might not be a famine where we don't have food, but we understand that opportunities are drying up like it was grain out there drying up in the fields, you know? And so those are things that are happening, opportunities and and, and the free flow of things that was happening. It was just constant. And then suddenly we've had a, a cease and desist almost which has made us have to stop and look to the one who actually is the provider. And so we ask the Lord to be the one who delivers us from death and keeps us alive in this famine. Amen. And we wait and we hope for the Lord because he is our help and our shield. It is not President Trump. It is not Dr. Fauci. It is not Sylvester Turner. And all of those people can be wonderful people with great intentions. I'll let you figure out who's who, okay? But here's what I know. Those men are not my hope and my shield of protection. That is God. And if I put my faith and my hope in them, I will be disappointed. I will be someone who gets very worried about those things that are happening right now. I don't need to worry about those things. I need to be focused on the Lord. And let me just ask you very quickly, as you go through this time, as you go through this changing world, I have to ask a big question of you. And this is the big question. What kind of sower are you? What kind of sower have you become since coronavirus hit? What kind of sower have you become as the George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter situation has rippled outward? What kind of sower are you and I in the midst of this world that we live in? 
Are we the kind of sower that we want to be when it comes to our kids or to our spouse? Are we the kind of sower and sowing the right kind of seed that we should be in our family? What about with your coworkers? What about with your neighborhood? Or you might say, well, I don't know any of my neighbors. Well, listen, think about your digital neighborhood, okay? Your, your social media and stuff online. Like, how are you sowing seeds? Are you a person who's constantly sowing negativity, constantly sowing worry, constantly sowing anger, constantly sowing these things that we do not want to see multiplied? Or are you instead somebody who, as Miss Kendall is covering with those kids, are you sowing the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, gentleness, kindness? Against these things, the Lord says there's no law against these things. Everybody's good with these things happening, and we need more of it desperately in our world. You know, it's funny that we forget that we can make a huge change. But I wanted to take a little bit of time on this July 4th uh, as we talk about America and we realize and understand that America is even right now going through times of upheaval, not because we are a great country, but because we have things that we need to sort out. I'm here to tell you, if you're here from another country... I know that you might have had an idea about America that is not necessarily played out exactly like you thought when you came. I know that you may think this is the best place on earth. You may think that you wish that you'd never come. I don't know. Each one of us is going to have a different response. I've only lived here all of my life, and I got to Texas as quick as I could. Can I get an amen, right? So I got here as quick as I could, and I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to stay right here. But here is what I know. I know that change comes from within, and I don't want to leave this country. I want to see this country become the best that it can possibly be, and I believe that happens as I'm a part of the solution, not just the person who only points out the problem, right? And there are problems. I'm not trying to minimize that, but I am saying we need to call out the problems. We need to be honest about the problems, and we need to tackle the problems, but the problem that we have in our world today, and I was talking with Peter about this just the other day, the problem is, is that we think it's some sort of spiritual gift to be able to figure out what's wrong. Man, nobody has a problem figuring out what's wrong. The problem is building something, not tearing down constantly. Because that's my problem with the political system these days. Is that all we ever do is we see that side and that side both coming after each other, tearing one another down, and nobody's telling me how they're going to fix it. You know, like I tear them down, they tear me down. I turn around, tear them right down again. And we do this in our social media. We do this in our world in so many ways. And nobody's building anything. Nobody's changing their world with the goodness and the love of Christ. And this is how we are called to change our world. It's not a political thing. It's not just simply getting the right banner or the right slogan or the right hashtag or any of those things. It is about getting involved and making a difference. And I promise you, I'm sharing three different examples. One kind of as a transition and two of very important people in our history of those people who made a difference and they were just one life. So if you have ever heard of the story written by Harriet Beecher Stowe, you may or may not recognize her as a picture, but you can see that she was probably the most influential abolitionist. Her name was Harriet Beecher Stowe. She was a white woman in the North who was frustrated at the strict fugitive slave laws, and so she wrote a book called Uncle Tom's Cabin. Some of you may have even read it. 
But what's very, very interesting is this woman was all of about five foot. That's about as high and as tall as my sweet daughter, Taryn, okay? So she's about as tall as my little Taryn is. And uh, Taryn's got lots of dynamite going on, though, I promise. Like, this woman also has a lot of dynamite. This novel was so influential that there is a story. Some disagree that it's truthful. Some say it might be apocryphal. They're not positive. But supposedly... When Harriet Beecher Stowe came and met President Lincoln, he said, so as he shook her hand, he said, so this is the little woman who wrote the book that caused this great war. (laughs) Because this woman said, I'm not going to just sit by and watch this institution of slavery rack my country with the original sin that it needs to walk away from. And so she got involved. She started doing her part where she could and where she could make a difference. She started writing a book, and that book was so popular and so well-read among the colonies and among the states that people began to change their attitudes. They had a change of heart because this woman wrote a story that touched their heart. And it wasn't a change of law. It was a change of heart that began. And so that is so incredibly important that we don't miss that. It's important important that we don't think that it matters for us to make a difference because it does. So then also just don't miss this in number, uh, uh, this thing that I would like to share. Jesus lived his life with a death sentence that he knew about. He knew that death sentence was hanging over his head and yet he modeled patience kindness, and he served others with his whole life. If you are a person who says, yeah, well, you know, this is what's going on in the world. How in the world can I possibly be worried about other people? I got to worry about myself. I got to be concerned about my own problems. Well, here's what I would say. The truth of the matter is, is that as we follow the pattern of Christ, we see that that man made a difference knowing that he only had about three years left in his life, even when he first began his public ministry. That man made the the difference and the biggest impact on our world that we've ever seen and knowing it all was going to end in a very violent, very painful, very difficult death that he did not deserve. And yet in the process of it all, he never lost sight of how to treat other people, how to love other people, how to be kind to other people and how to serve other people. That is why he's Jesus. And that's why we need to pattern our life after him rather than the way that we are. Amen. Okay. So as we keep moving here and as we keep going, I want to tell two stories. I've shared the Harriet Beecher Stowe one. Now I want to share one uh, about the the things that we have seen in some of our history. Um, The one that I want to begin with is the miracles of American history. Maybe you've heard this story or maybe you have not, but George Washington's four bullets uh, theory, and actually they uh, misspelled that, believe it or not. I just realized that. Um, But yeah, miracles in American history. If you know the story, there was actually during the French and Indian War, um, General Washington eventually, but was serving as a man who was a colonel, he actually uh, have a picture here. Um, as you look at this picture depicting him getting involved in a battle, he was at that battle that was near uh, Fort Duquesne, I believe is how you pronounce it, uh, near Pittsburgh. He was fighting in the French and Indian War, not even yet the War of Independence. And he was just a colonel that most people did not even know. But here's what ended up happening. As the fighting got very, very fierce, it was 
pretty clear that most of the officers were actually going to be shot because they were up on their horses and easily seen. They were a sitting duck and an easy target. But this is what one of the Native Americans said. It's listed up here on this next slide. Washington was never born to be killed by a bullet. I had 17 fair fires at him with my rifle, and after all of them, I could not bring him to the ground. It is amazing to think about how this man basically said, I should have killed him 17 different times by myself, much less all the others, but I could not bring that man to the ground. And as a matter of fact, as George Washington wrote his brother after this battle, he said these words, but by the all-powerful dispensations, and notice these capitalizations here, the all-powerful dispensations of providence, I have been protected beyond all human probability or expectation, for I had four bullets through my coat and two horses shot underneath me, and yet I escaped unhurt, although death was leveling my companions on every side." Isn't that incredible? It's almost as if God had his way of protecting George Washington because he knew he had a place in history to begin this republic of ours. And you can go back. There's actually some really great stories. If you go to this next slide, I believe you'll see there's seven miracles that saved America, why they matter, and why we should have hope even today. And so there's some great things out there if you're interested. Um, this particular one says it's on compact disc but I have it on Audible, so you can check it out. But it is an amazing thing to look at the way that God's providence, that capital P of providence, kept him from being hurt and harmed. Psalm chapter 33, as we go back and look one more time, you see here, Psalm 33, verse 13 through 16, from heaven... The Lord looks down and he sees all of mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He forms the hearts of all. They consider everything they do. And no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. God had a plan and he had divine protection on him. It is an amazing thing. But I'm going to share another story of another person that is a part of our landscape, of our history. And you may or may not recognize this picture of this woman. Most people just simply knew her as Minty. Uh, it was kind of a shortened name of her real name. But later on, as she fled to the north from Maryland, where she was originally a slave, she changed her name to Harriet Tubman. And you may have even known about the story that has become a movie. And there's some incredible stuff that we know about Harriet Tubman and some of the things that were going on. And I just want to share a couple of things that were shared on an NPR podcast as a woman who was not necessarily a believer was sharing with another person who's not necessarily a believer how God played a role in Harriet Tubman's life. She said, every so often, Harriet Tubman would collapse into what appeared to be a deep slumber. According to people around her during these deep slumbers, she thought that she was actually communicating with a higher power. Now, let me hit pause. This actually began when she was about age 12 or 13. Her evil slave owner actually took a weight, a lead weight probably weighing close to two pounds, and threw it at another slave. And so you see the brutality and why it was so important that slavery end. But you see, 
her, he threw that at this other slave girl and it missed her and instead struck Harriet Tubman in the head. And you would think, why in the world would God let something terrible like that happen? But here is what is incredible. These people know what happened. From that point forward in her life, she began to fall and lapse into these visions where she believed when she came out of them, God had spoken to her clearly about what she should do. One person said those things that I just read. Now let me say what her response was. This other person named Cassie said, even her abolitionist friends, you know, they would say, well, I don't know if I believe in it, but I'm certain that she believes in it. And we can't describe how she's able to survive. Isn't that just like faith? The people who are not informed don't fully understand or grasp what God is doing. But we know when we see God's hand working on our behalf. Then back to the first lady. That's Cassie Lemons, the director of the new movie called Harriet. Lemons spent a long time thinking and reading about and researching Harriet Tubman. And she says over time that she herself came to believe that Harriet Tubman really was talking to God and God was speaking to her. She said these words, if one chooses not to believe that she was having visions from God, then she's got some incredible intuition, right? And so this is just a perfect example of how God was intervening and seeing things happen for people, even back in our history. As a matter of fact, we know that Harriet Tubman probably saved close to about 70 people as she brought them into the freedom of the northern states on the Underground Railroad. And this is a picture of the, the movie, and you can get the movie, I believe, I'm going to cross my fingers and say that it's on Amazon Prime. If, I mean, and I know everybody's got Amazon Prime, right? And so there you go. If you're interested in reading uh, more about her, please do. Or if you're interested in watching a movie, you can definitely find a little bit more about her out there. So this is what we know. This is what we know. We know that God wants to change the hearts of people. He doesn't just simply want to change our laws. He wants to change our hearts. He wants us to get involved in our world and be an agent of change in it. And so I have to ask again this big question that I asked a little earlier. What kind of seed are you sowing? And what kind of sower are you? I talked about on the first Sunday the fact that for many of us, we're so desperate to get the right kind of soil that we forget that's not our job. That's God's job. God's job is to prepare and find the right kind of soil. Our job is to sow the seed. And so if we're not sowing seed, we're not accomplishing what God has called us to do. But what kind of sower are you? Are you a person who's serious about making a difference in this world? Or are you just kind of going through that and saying, well, I've got so much going on that I can't worry about changing my world. Somebody needs to change it for me. Can I just say something real quickly? Man, Christians, quit being so easy on yourself. Quit acting like your world and my world is constantly something we can barely make it by in. I know there are seasons like that. But if your life is constantly, constantly in a state and a season of turmoil, then we probably need to get to the place where we say, God, make some changes in me. 
that I can change my world. Because the truth of the matter is, is that God has made us more than conquerors, according to Romans. Romans chapter 8 tells us we are more than conquerors. And if we're not living in that kind of victory, if we're not living in the abundant life that he promised in John chapter 10, then probably we need to get some things in our life, out of our life, so God's got more room to operate in us and through us. Amen? So if you're constantly in that place, realize that God does not want you there constantly. He wants instead for you and I to be agents of change in our world. Very quickly, I'm going to ask you to apply this message in this way. It is this, where is the change needed most where I am? In other words, your circle of influence, your friends, your extended family, your immediate family, neighbors, acquaintances, external and extended contacts. These are the things that you have as a mission field. You have as a way of making a difference in your world. But that is the question that you have to answer today. Where is that area of change needed most? Maybe you would say, you know what? The truth is, is that my relationships... I have some serious issues and serious problems going on. I need that relationship with my son. I need that relationship with my daughter. I need that relationship with my boss. You know, that needs to get healed. That needs to be changed. I don't know what it is for you, and it's probably going to be different for almost every single one of us. But here is what I know. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and sound mind or self-discipline. And so we constantly need to be striving towards that victory that God has provided. I believe that just like somebody like George Washington, who was probably an unknown when God had his hands of protection guiding him and watching out for him. Most people probably didn't know who he was, but eventually he became the George Washington that we know. Or Harriet Tubman, who most people probably would never look twice at, little five-foot tall woman who was tiny in stature and huge on the inside and huge in making a difference in her world. Probably most people would walk right by her and not even notice. And yet God used her to change her world. I talked last week about Mother Teresa there in India and her ministry to the poorest of the poor in that, in that place. And so we know that it is not about having a position. It's not about political power. It is about changing people's hearts. And that is done one by one by one. And I talk a lot about changing the world. Here's what I would say. I want to see our world change. I really do. But here is what I know. I can't change my world. I can't introduce legislation. I can't do these things that people say are the ways to change the world. But I can do one thing. I can make sure that my life is what God wants it to be. I can make sure that my family has heard from me about what God has said. I can make sure that those people that are my friends are being loved and supported and ministered to. Why? Because that's my job. I've received incredible blessings. I need to be an incredible blessing. That's what I believe with all of my heart as a Christian. We need to be change agents in this changing world. And of all times, our world desperately needs to see the strength of Christian conviction and change happening as we lead the charge of change in our world. What a blessing it would be for people to say, you know, 
God had his hand in that and he used his people to accomplish it. (laughs) If today you know there needs to come about a change in your life, in your world, in your small section of your world, it begins with your heart fully devoted to God's purpose. Not your own, not mine, but God's purpose. If you know that you are not in that place, pray a prayer something like this. Heavenly Father, I know that my ways are so much lower than yours. You see on a higher plateau and a higher plane, you're accomplishing things and bringing circumstances to pass so that your purpose will succeed. I pray that instead of resisting that or fighting against that or swimming against the tide, that I would instead give myself wholly and totally to being an agent of change and an instrument of change in our world today. I've seen the way that you've worked in other people, people who have been foundational individuals in the life of our country. I'm thankful for them because Lord, you're still moving. You're still moving. And that means that if I'm willing, you will still move in my circumstances, in my family, in my community, on my street, in my home, in my extended family, in my workplace. These are things that you can still change if I will cooperate. God, make me your instrument, I pray. And thank you, God, that you don't need us to be perfect. You just need us to be available. Lord, help us to commit to making an impact in our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you guys so much for your time and for your attention. I hope you'll go away with that question, what needs to change and what kind of sower am I to bring about that change? I hope that'll be your path today as well as the coming week uh, so God can use you in that way. Well, let me just say, I appreciate your time, your attention. And as always, I love having an opportunity to share God's word with you. I hope you found it something that you can use and put into practice. And uh, man, just be careful out there. Stay safe. Know that we love you. And we're going to end the way that we always do. We have just heard God's word. Now say it with me. Now let's go live it. God bless you. Love you guys. Thanks. Thanks.